You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. He is the perfect child of God, Jesus Christ. He's the one that we come to celebrate, not just during this season of Advent, but every single day, every single moment of our lives. And to look back on previous holidays and Christmases brings back fond memories, doesn't it? You have a a warm feeling in your, your heart right now. And I truly believe that God desires us to have that feeling in our hearts, not just when we come together corporately for worship, but every moment, every day of life to breathe in his grace and to breathe out his praise, to know that he is always with us, the perfect son of God who knew no sin, delivers us, and sets us free. I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to take a couple of deep breaths under your mask there, if you have your mask on, or just to yourself there, not on anybody else, but just take a few of them. Maybe going through your nose and out through your mouth. And just relax your body for a second. Just relax. Get comfortable. It's okay. And then I want you to look around you. Just look around. You can look behind you, beside you, look around you. If you're online, whoever you're with, outside, whoever's out there, look around you. If you're outside, you can look around and and see God's beautiful creation. There are actual flowers and bushes still blooming outside this gorgeous chapel. Look around you and see the beauty and blessings of the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. The body of Christ in motion. Thank God for what you have right here, right now. Don't take for granted those that are sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, to be thankful. You know what? I have people who love me. I have people who care about me, who support me, who pray for me. You're not alone. And though the holiday season can bring loneliness and isolation for some, Some people don't look forward to the holidays whatsoever because it makes them sad for who or what they've lost over the years. I want you to know that we are here. We're here for you. We're here for one another. And we're here to celebrate Jesus Christ and the difference that he makes in our lives. So this holiday season, take lots of pictures. Take time literally to smell the roses, because there are still some roses that are blooming. We've got them in our backyard. I'm like, this never happens. But it's like God is saying, remember that I'm here and that there's new life all around you. If you would just open your eyes and see that I am continuing to bless you, even in the midst of uncertainty. You know, the the Guinness Book of World Records keeps track of all kinds of crazy things. Have you ever been to like Myrtle Beach or to Gatlinburg and you've been into the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, building that they have there? You pay a ridiculous amount of money to go in there and and see crazy things like a a four-headed cow, you know? You look at yourself in these mirrors and it makes you look like you're this big. And that may not be reality, but after Thanksgiving, it could be reality. It really could. But some crazy things. And recently I read in the Guinness Book of World Records, about a man who lives in Indonesia. His name is Bunkus. He went up in a tree in 1970, a treehouse, and he's been there ever since. 
He comes down to get supplies and things, but he lives up there in that tree house. And I thought, man, that's crazy. There it is. That's what he lives in. Have you seen the TV show about the tree houses? Some of these tree houses, listen to this, cost in excess of $400,000. I'm like, that's not the tree house I grew up in and played in as a kid. And you know, me and a couple of my buddies, like the Sandlot crew, you know, we, we put us a, a wooden structure up in the top. We took some of those crates that you know you can get, and we made a tree house. If it rained, we got soaked. I remember one time we even tried to light a fire up in the treehouse. Not a good idea. When it's made of wood, then it doesn't fall and everything's dry. It didn't turn out so well for us. I remember jumping out of that treehouse, and I was supposed to play in a basketball game in middle school the next day, and I jumped out of the treehouse, and I sprained my ankle. And I played in the game that day, the next day. Scored 14 points, by the way, so, you know, that's half of my average. And just kidding. But anyway, I really did sprain my ankle when I played the next day. But we do crazy things. This is crazy. And you might be thinking, what's this have to do with the first Sunday of Advent? Well, it reminds me of the lesson from the Old Testament today. What a powerful reading. The prophet Isaiah cries out, Oh, God, that you would come down. Please come down. He's desperately pleading for God to come down. There's this this feeling of helplessness in the face of two phenomena. The suffering and the sinfulness of God's people. There's still suffering today of God's people. There's still sinfulness in the world today. The people of Israel have known great suffering throughout their history. It was true in Isaiah's time, and it was even more true in the 20th century when Hitler and his Nazi stormtroopers put millions of Jews to death. And to a lesser extent, it's still true today. Jews are still under attack, even in the land of the free and the home of the brave. On the one hand... The Jewish people believed themselves to be a chosen people with a special relationship with God. On the other hand, there have been times when God seemed very far away from them. Let me ask you something, especially the audience watching online. Many of you have been isolated for weeks, for months, not going out too much, watching watching us from online, and we thank God for you being out there. Many of us, for quite a while, were worshiping online. Some have started coming back to church. Some are outside under the tent there. But I want to ask you, and I want to ask you here that are present today. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt that way? Seemed like God was just far away? God, where are you? I'm doing my best here, but can you give me a little help? I need a sign. I need, I need you to, to show yourself. I need you to come down, God. You ever said that before? Maybe you have. Did you know, by the way, that Columbus took several Jews along with him on his historic voyages as interpreters? He assumed that any Indians or Orientals he would encounter would probably be primitive and would therefore speak God's language, Hebrew. That was a really naive expectation of Columbus, of course. But it's true that the Jews had this very special relationship with God, but there were times when they felt he was really far away from them. They thought of themselves as God's chosen people, the elect. How is it possible, however, to reconcile the notion we are God's chosen people with the reality of six million Jews slain under Hitler alone? We can appreciate the difficult dilemma faced by the devout Jew as he or she wrestles with what it means to be a descendant of Abraham in the face of such unmitigated tragedy. 
It's like the story of the great writer and Jewish activist, Eli Wiesel. He used to tell this story. He himself was a Holocaust survivor. He would tell about a Jewish rabbi during that terrible time. The rabbi would faithfully come to the synagogue each day and he would pray. He would say, I've come to inform you, master of the universe, that we are here. He would faithfully say that every time he went to the synagogue, we are here as the toll of slain, deported, missing Jews increased. He still came faithfully and prayed, you see, Lord, we are still here. We're here. We're right here. And finally, he is the only Jew left with a heart that is numb with grief. He comes to the synagogue once more and prays, you see, I'm still here, master of the universe. And then he sadly asks, but you, where are you, O God? Which of us in our time of personal grief has not asked that same question? Where were you, God, when my son was in that terrible accident? Where were you, God, when my wife suffered so terribly before succumbing to breast cancer? Or as we view the world's enormous problems, such as this out-of-control virus, who is not asked, why doesn't God just come down and straighten this whole mess out? Where are you, God? You can do something about this. then there would be no more starvation or war or oppression or sickness or death if you would just come down. Why don't you come down? Isaiah, the most sensitive of all the prophets of Israel, was struck to the very core of his being with the suffering of his people. And to be point blank, he was tired of it. He saw it and he witnessed it. He had had enough. You know, we have all the resources in our world today just in the United States alone, I want you to hear me, church, to end starvation, war, sickness, and yes, COVID-19. We have all the resources available. Do we realize it? Do we acknowledge that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift? That God is the creator. We make nothing. We create nothing. We have no ability to do that, but God does. And if we would be faithful and call on him and give him the credit and praise him and thank him, then I do believe he would move and act in a mighty way. But we cannot be silent any longer. We must speak up. We must claim the name Christian and really live up to what it means to realize that we're not perfect, but to know that God has called us to be selfless, not selfish. To know that Christmas is not our birthday to know that we should be spending just as much on helping others as we spend on ourselves and our families. That whatever you spend on Black Friday, some of you stayed away from that, good for you. Whatever you're going to spend, whatever you're going to do for the holidays, for yourself or for others in your family, do an equal amount with those in need, the least of these. That's living as though God has already come down. And that he exists and lives within you. And he has. He's present. He's here with us right now. You know, just as troubling, though, was the sinfulness of his people. That was the trouble. You see, Isaiah's upset, but the people continued to be sinful. Listen as Isaiah prays. All of us have become like one who is unclean. 
and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. How long has the world been hiding its face from the Lord? Not being faithful, not seeking God first, putting everything else above the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who gives us the very air that we breathe. More than any other faith on the face of the globe, the Jewish faith is one of doing right. You know, we are Judeo-Christians. We have a Jewish heritage. You know that, don't you? And they want to do right. The Jews were called together as a people to give witness to God's moral law. They had the law before they had the temple or a homeland. This was their mission, the reason for their election, to maintain the law. In the beginning, they believed God created man and woman to live in perfect harmony with creation and with the Creator. But something went amiss in the very heart of humanity. Something was there that alienated human beings from their environment, from their fellow human beings, and even from the loving God who had created them. That something was humanity's sinful nature, and we still have it. It was sin that dug the chasm between God and humanity. It was sin that made humanity unacceptable to God, for the very nature of God is holiness and righteousness. Thus the psalmist wrote, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. The law was given to bring light to humanity's dark existence. But here were God's people who were to witness to his law. And they were people with dirty hands and impure hearts. You know, that kind of sounds like us today, doesn't it? We too are people with dirty hands and impure hearts. It, it reminds me of a song, and I, I had told Barry that if the Spirit led, I was going to play his guitar. So I got permission first. You don't play a man's guitar without asking him, or a woman's guitar, especially a woman's, to be honest with you, because they don't like fingerprints on their guitar and all that kind of stuff. And so um, this is a song that some of you that were a part of 180 back in the day, you will, will probably remember this song. There's something going on with the guitar there, but we'll make some adjustments there. Let's see. He's going to cut it on for me. All right. Might not want to cut it on. I'm not that great of a player. I can't hold a candlestick to this guy. But um, it's called Give Us Clean Hands and Give Us Pure Arts. And it goes like this. And if you know it, you can sing along. If you don't, just listen to the words. You know, the beauty of, of sitting out in the congregation when our worship team leads us, and we have the lyrics up there, and I appreciate Eric for putting those up there for us, is that we can focus on those words. And I watched you. I looked at you, some of you. And you were really gazed to those words, listening to the meaning of those words. Welcome to our world. Wow. Powerful, powerful things, huh? We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. 
Let us not lift our hands to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And God, let us be a generation that seeks. Seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. God, let us be a generation that seeks. Seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls or our hands to another. But it's during this time of the year that we really begin to lift our hands and our souls to another. It's called the God or the, the, the Lord of consumerism, materialism. We have to be very careful with that, especially in this day and age. We can fall victim to having dirty hands and impure hearts. There's a rule that we associate with pickup basketball. It's called no foul, no harm. You know what I'm talking about for some of you that play basketball outside on the blacktop or the concrete or like when I grew up on the dirt. No foul, no harm. We don't call all the fouls that they call in professional sports or even college. We just keep playing. Unless you get a bloody nose, you're on the floor hurting. We don't call a foul. You just, you just keep playing. That's the way you play. Well, if we don't get caught, it's all right. That's maybe in pickup basketball, but it shouldn't be that way in the world. If no one gets hurt, what's the sweat? It's only myself that I'm hurting. So it's my business, isn't it, Stephen? Somehow we, like ancient Israel, have deluded ourselves into thinking that sin is no big deal. We ignore, it, ignore, ignore its power to destroy health and home, to damage our witness and impede our spiritual growth. We just... We disregard its power to block our view of God and leaves us slaves to our own passions. It was a warning to us that Jesus taught. This is what he said. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. In other words, there is something about sin that coats the soul with grime, dirtiness, and prevents us from seeing God. Rare are those who listen, however, until... It's too late. A policeman watched as a young man backed his car around the block. Then he did it again and again, and finally the policeman stopped the young man and asked him why he was driving around backward. At first, the youth didn't want to explain the reasons for his strange behavior, but eventually he admitted that he had borrowed his father's car for the evening, and because he had driven farther than he had promised his father that he would drive, he was backing up trying to take some of those miles off the odometer. SJ's getting some ideas now. Does that really work? Well, give that a try. Yeah. Isaiah saw that there was no hope that Israel could save itself from the moral abyss into which it was drifting. There are some theologians and futurists who are saying that about the United States of America. It's dug itself such a deep hole, such an abyss, that it's going to be hard to come out of that. I don't believe that. I believe there are enough faithful people who love Jesus to prevent that from happening. The only hope was that God would come down and bring healing to his people 
And Isaiah knew that. Why don't you come down and save us, not only from our suffering, but also from our sin? Isaiah was pleading this. It's in this context that he uses a very familiar image to us. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Isaiah knew that only God could remove the flaw from the fragile clay of humanity. You remember that old song, don't you, back in the day you used to sing on maybe Sunday nights at church? It goes like this. If you know it, sing it. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me. Mold me and make me. After thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. He's molding us. He's shaping us into the people that he desires us to be. There's another reason. Another thing to say about what's going on here. God has come down. That, of course, is what Advent is all about. From beyond time and space, down past the galaxies, and all the heavenly firmament, in an event that surpasses our grandest attempt to get our little brains around it, God has come down. In a little obscure town outside of Jerusalem, in a lowly stable, he came down as a tiny baby born to an humble couple from a backward village in Nazareth. God has has come down. That which Isaiah prayed for has happened. God has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. And He is the answer to humanity's suffering and sin. He is the only answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, the Son. And no matter what somebody may tell you, that is the only way. It's through Jesus Christ. Christ. There's a story that I debated to tell you or not. Matter of fact, this is going to be part of my message um, during a night of Christmas worship, so I'm letting the cat out of the bag. And, and God has moved in a mighty way already through Doug and I with what's going to happen on a night of Christmas worship, which is December the 23rd, by the way, at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary over at First Baptist Church. Invite everybody that you possibly can, whether you know them or not. It is going to be anointed. I want you to be there. But here is a little teaser for what may happen that night. There's this story told by the late Dr. John Claypool about a play written in 1945 by a German pastor named Gunter Rutenborn. The story was set at a time when Germany was still reeling from the tragic impact of World War II. Many people in Germany were agonizing with the question of who was responsible for the terrible agony that the Second World War had brought upon the world. Characters in the play voiced the opinions of those who were looking for answers. Was Hitler alone responsible? How about the munitions manufacturers who financed him? Did an apathetic German population share the blame? But then a man comes up out of the crowd and says, Do you really want to know who's to blame for all this suffering we've been through? Do you want to know? I'll tell you, God is the blame. He is the one that created this world. 
He is the one who let it be what it is. Soon everyone in the crowd, everyone on the stage is echoing the same indictment. God is the blame. God is the blame. God is the blame. And so God is put on trial for the crime of creating the world and is found guilty. The judge sentences God to what he considers to be the worst of all sentences. He sentences God to live on the earth as a human being. Three archangels are given the task of carrying out the sentence. The first archangel walks to the end of the stage and says, I'm going to see to it when God serves his sentence that he knows what it's like to be obscure and to be poor. He will be born on the backside of nowhere with a peasant girl for his mother. There will be suspicion of shame about his birth. And he will have to live as a Jew in a Jew-hating world. The second archangel adds to that harsh penalty. I'm going to see to it when God serves his sentence that he knows what it's like to fail and to suffer disappointment. No one will ever understand what he is trying to do. The third archangel said, I'm going to see to it when God serves his sentence that he knows what it's like to suffer. I'm going to see to it that he has all kind of physical pain. And at the end of his life, he's going to be absolutely executed in as painful a way as possible. And suddenly, the archangels disappear and the house lights go down. And the audience is left for a few moments in darkness as the reality dawns upon each member of the audience that God has already served his sentence. He knew what it was like to be obscure and to be poor, to have nothing. He knew what it was like to fail and to suffer disappointment. He knew what it was like to suffer an excruciating, painful death. He experienced it all in the life and death of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to humanity's sin and suffering. He has come down. But the world has yet to receive him. For you see what he offers us in himself alone. He offers us is himself alone. He is love. He is peace. He is hope. We want hope. He is hope. We want peace. He is peace. We want love. He is love. The problem is we want hope, but we don't want him. We want peace, but we don't want him. We want love, but we don't want him. We want to achieve a world without suffering or sin, but we do not want to open our lives so that he might begin his healing and reconciling work through us. There is no other way, however. Without him, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no love, there's no joy available in this world. It does not exist, for you see, he embodies peace, hope, love, and joy. He is the author and creator of all what these candles represent. Today, it's peace. Once there was a girl, this little girl, her name was Annika, not quite four years old. Annika was fascinated by a wastebasket filled with scraps of fabric left over from one of her mother's recent sewing projects. Annika decided to root through the scraps of fabric and retrieve some brightly colored scraps for herself. She took the scraps out, of the, out to the back garden outside. 
Her mother found her sitting in the grass with a long pole. Annika was affixing the scraps of cloth to the top of the pole with great sticky wads of tape. I'm making a banner for a procession, she said. I need a procession so that God will come down and dance with us. With that, says her mother, she solemnly lifted her banner to flutter in the wind and slowly began to dance. This spoke to my imagination, the idea of God coming down to dance with his children. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, Isaiah prayed. That prayer was answered. He has come down. Now all we have to do is receive him and to make him known to a sin-filled and suffering world. How about you? I mean, really, how about you? He has come down. Will you receive him right now? I danced in the morning when the world was begun. I danced in the moon and the stars and the sun. I came down from heaven and I danced on the earth. At Bethlehem I had my birth. Dance then wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be. And I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. He's dancing amongst us even right now as we sit here when we are worshiping, when we're giving thanks to him, when we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. He's moving amongst us. That's the beauty of being a part. And I want you visitors to hear this especially because you core folks that have been here for over a year, you know this. That's the beauty of being a part of a church that 100% fully relies on the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't dance around it. We dance with it. We shout and sing praises. We, we lift our hands. We move from pocket praising to hand raising because we know that the Spirit of God is real. And that Spirit has been with us since the very moment of conception. When He breathed the breath of life into us. And He molded us. He shaped us. Knitted us in our mother's womb. He knows our very substance. Every thought, every emotion, every struggle, every pain, and he has come down to take it from you. Will you let him? Will you let him dance today? Not just dance around you, but dance in your heart to where you cannot help but want to dance and process with a flag yourself, celebrating the presence of God Almighty. I love liturgical dance. I'm not saying we're going to do that here at Misty Creek, but I love it because the Spirit moves through those dancers in a mighty way. We did some of that when Karen was directing the youth choir for years, the dancing, and it was just beautiful to see God move. You see, the Spirit is active. It's alive. It's not dead. It's not stored away somewhere. You know, we bring out our Christmas decorations, our trees and our wreath, and as we begin to put them up, and it's cumbersome, I know it, but we have joy when we're putting them up, and, and when we finally do like Clark, and we're like, yeah, and we finally do it, and the lights are like, boom, and they come on, we hope they do. Hoping that our spouse has flipped on that switch in the garage, and they, they come on, and we're like, yes, we're thrilled. 
We have that feeling of Christmas. And then we come to church and the, the candle's lit and we, we sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and do you hear what I hear? And Christmas becomes real. And we realize that he's come down. Don't fast forward and skip through Christmas. Soak it up. Dance with our Messiah. Don't fast forward to when you get up on the old rickety extension ladder to take the wreaths off the windows and take the, the lights out of the bushes, ornaments off the tree and put them in the box, put everything back in the basement, and then you have those post-Christmas blues. For you see, we celebrate this season year-round. I mean, our earthly dates that we have for Christmas and Advent, they're so far off, it's funny. But we need them to keep us focused and on track. And retail needs it as well, to be honest with you. But let's, let's make this the most holy, anointed, exciting Advent Christmas season we've ever had. Let's not let some virus or some elections or the economy or the, the media take our joy. Because... Our joy is in Christ, along with our peace and our hope and our love. The light of the world has come down and opened our eyes to let us see. Emmanuel, God with us, and we praise your name. Oh God, that you would come down and you would rescue the sinners, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through us, act through us, move through us, and live through us. May we know you like we've never known you before. We love you and we praise you and give you all the thanks. Here we are. We're here to worship you and to offer all that we have to you. For you are the author, creator, perfecter, pioneer of our faith. Hallelujah. Adventus, coming, arrival. You are here, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.